When you think of a Texan, you probably picture a cowboy, maybe even a kid riding to school on a horse. And while that's sometimes the case, it doesn't quite fit for everyone. Texans come in all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, and backgrounds. And that's why the Austin American Statesman is proud to present Truly Texan, a podcast showcasing all the different people that make the Lone Star State so unique. Today, we're speaking with Lisa Doggett, an Austin-based family physician and author who received a life-changing diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. So for our listeners, can you say who you are and what you do? I'm Lisa Doggett. I'm a family medicine and lifestyle medicine physician here in Austin, and I uh, work at the Dell Medical School in the MS and Neuroimmunology Clinic. Uh, I also work part-time for a company called Sigility that does care management. Can you tell me about how you got into the medical field? Was it something that when, even when you were a kid, you wanted to like, you know, be a doctor, help people that way? Or was it something that you realized a little later in life? When I was a kid, I did not want to be a doctor. And I said, I'll never be a doctor because I don't like to be around sick people. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of funny looking back, but, you know, I grew up in a family uh, where public service was a way of life. My father, Lloyd Doggett, is in Congress. My mom is a nationally known advocate for children and families. So it was always expected that I would do something to help people to make a difference. um, And that was my intention. Um, And then when I started thinking about careers, I realized, you know, medicine actually is the most basic human need. And, you know, without uh, being, being well, people can't work, can't go to school. So it really ended up kind of, I came back to that as a, as a way to, to make a difference. Um, But I think uh, the other thing that I've learned is I don't like to be around sick people. I want to keep them well. And so my focus, uh, particularly now is on prevention and helping people live the best life they can. And have you always been in Texas and more specifically Austin? I grew up in Austin. I'm a seventh generation Texan. I went away for school for lots of years, but uh, I've been back for over 20 years in Austin. Uh, I went to McCallum a High School here in Austin, and then I went, went to Amherst College in Western Massachusetts uh, for college, uh, Baylor Medical School, and then University of Cincinnati for my residency. Were there any culture shocks associated with going up to like Massachusetts and Cincinnati after oh, being in cold. Texas your whole life? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I was ready. I had traveled a fair bit. I was really ready to get away and experience life in a different part of the country. Uh, It was a lot of fun to do that, but I definitely felt a little homesick, and and I'm very glad that I've been able to live most of my adult life in Austin. So now to kind of get into the main topic of today, can you tell me about this diagnosis that I guess kind of changed your life? Where did that start for you? When did you start thinking that maybe there was something going on in your body? Sure. Um, I remember my first symptoms started two days before my daughter turned two. So it was November 2nd, 2009. And I started, I woke up one morning with dizziness. Uh, I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe I'm getting a cold, kind of went on with my week. Uh, it, It was a weird feeling, not kind of classic vertigo or motion sickness, but mainly just felt a little off, kind of like I had jet lag, maybe, um, you know, drink a glass of wine too fast, um, just didn't feel uh, feel good at all. Um, and I thought, well, this is going to turn into a cold, uh, but it didn't. And actually, I started getting new symptoms by the end of the week. Um, I started having double vision and then taste changes, which were very strange. As a physician, um, I didn't know what was going on, but I couldn't make sense of it. Um, and I struggled with that. I actually got out my old textbooks from medical school and tried to figure out where in the brain something was going wrong because I did feel like it was a neurologic problem. 
Um, I was very fortunate as a physician. I know a lot of doctors, and I was able to see a neurologist and then an ear, nose, and throat specialist when things didn't get better um, just a week after my symptoms started. Uh, the ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctor ordered an MRI, and I found out eight days after my symptoms started that I had probably multiple sclerosis, which was later confirmed with a spinal tap. For people who may not know, what exactly is multiple sclerosis? Yes, multiple sclerosis, or MS, is a weird disease. Uh, it is a neurologic condition that impacts the central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord. It is an autoimmune process where your body attacks its nerve cells, uh, the myelin specifically, which is the coating around nerve cells. Um, the myelin acts as sort of an insulation of the nerve cells and helps conduction to occur uh, of messages that your body's, you know, your brain and spinal cord are sending to other parts of the body. And when that myelin doesn't work well or is damaged, it can lead to a whole variety of symptoms. So uh, MS is a chronic condition. I call it my life sentence with MS. Um, because I am stuck with it forever. There is no cure. We do have good treatments, but no cure. But it can cause a whole variety of symptoms. Uh, commonly, it causes mobility problems, balance issues, but it can cause numbness, tingling, um, cognitive problems, uh, bowel and bladder issues, depression, visual changes, um, a whole host of things that I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not even kind of coming close to explaining all of the things it can do. With it being autoimmune, is there something in particular that causes it? Is it genetic? Does it uh, impact a certain gender or age range or age demographic more than another? Great questions. Yeah, so uh, we don't really know the cause. Uh, there is thought to be some connection to the Epstein-Barr virus, which is the virus that causes mono. Uh, most of us have had mono and most of us don't get MS, so we don't really know why some people end up with MS, but there is thought to be a connection there. Uh, MS is more common in young adults. Um, typically, it's between ages 20 and 50 that people will be diagnosed, uh, but it can occur at any age, including in kids, although that's not common. Uh, it's about three times more common in women than in men um, and really impacts all demographics. Um, you know, there's not a real clear-cut um, uh, distinction, I guess, between, uh, you know, different ethnicities. Um, there are almost a million people in the U.S. that live with MS, um, and there is maybe a little bit of a genetic um, connection. Um, my kids, for example, have about a 1 in 25 chance of getting MS. And in the general population, it occurs in about 1 in 300 to 350 people. What was your initial reaction to receiving that diagnosis just off the bat? What, were you, what was going through your mind? It was a shock, a complete shock. Uh, I really, I'm a health nut, and I really tried to practice what I preach as a doctor. So I... I exercised every day, ate a super healthy diet, really tried my best to handle stress, although that was tough because I did have two little kids in a, in a very challenging position uh, as a medical director at a clinic. But, uh, you know, I really tried to take good care of myself. <clears throat> I certainly didn't expect that I would be the one getting sick, um, even though I was seeing patients all day and, and realized that it could happen to anyone at any time. Um, I, I just, I couldn't believe this. Uh, I had now was stuck with this chronic condition uh, that's a, a known to be a, ca a leading cause of disability in young adults. Um, I felt like, gosh, my future has been canceled. I'm done. Um, I didn't know if I'd be able to work again, uh, to raise my kids, to drive, to travel. Um, it was a very tough time. Did you have like a thought of like, why me? Why is this happening to me when I did all these right things? Sure. Absolutely. I think that's a pretty common thing. Uh, 
situation that we find ourselves in when something unusual happens that's unexpected. And I, I did a lot of that. Why did I get this? What happened? What did I do? What was the one thing that I could have done differently to prevent it? And, you know, I, I've since learned that that doesn't do anybody any good. It's certainly not helping me to be wallowing in that what I call the why me swamp, um, even though I think it's normal to to have that period of kind of questioning and grieving. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I've learned to make some peace with that uncertainty. Uh, it took a very long time. And I had dizziness almost every day for a couple of years. Um, and that was very, very hard to live with. I was kind of like, gosh, I can live with the uncertainty of this horrible, weird disease, but I can't stand the dizziness anymore. And it took me a long time to kind of be able to accept it, the dizziness, to accept my condition, and to find some ways to cope with my symptoms. So was the dizziness the main symptom? And what other things were you experiencing mostly? Because I know you listed there were, there's a bunch of things that come with it, but what were you feeling most impacted by? So yes, my main symptom has always been dizziness. Um, I did have some visual changes um, early on. Um, those kind of were intermittent in the first few years, but but not a big deal most of the time. Um, but the dizziness absolutely impacted every day. Um, I, it just kind of sapped my energy and motivation. It was a hard thing to live with. And I would wake up in the morning feeling normal for a couple minutes and thinking, oh, maybe I'm not going to have this anymore. And it came back and I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know how to deal with it on a day-to-day basis, just kind of had to move on and, and try to accept it. Um, ultimately, it, it did start to regress. I tried a whole bunch of different things. Um, again, I think it's pretty common to start looking for solutions. And I tried a variety of medications, tried acupuncture, yoga, some balance therapy, visual therapy, some unusual things. And ultimately, the thing that helped me by far more than anything else was actually mindfulness meditation. Didn't expect it, wasn't thinking that that was going to help me. I had some friends encourage me to try it really more for stress relief, um, but it had has continued to help tremendously with my dizziness. And there's actually good medical evidence that mindfulness-based uh, meditation helps with a variety of conditions, particularly anxiety, depression, and pain. I need to take a class as well. <laughs> the class really helped. It, it helped kind of give me a framework and understanding and, and also just some tools. So, you know, I think when, when we meditate, a lot of us get frustrated because like, I can't clear my thoughts. I'm supposed, I'm not doing this right. I'm supposed to do this different. And really the class kind of helped teach me that you don't need to be judgmental of yourself and thoughts are supposed to come to you. It's okay. And you just kind of observe them and let them go. And it's not something that you need to be mad at yourself about. You're not, there's not a right way to do it. Um, it's more just, you know, when you recognize that there's an intrusive thought, you just say to yourself, oh, this is a mindful moment. I just notice this thought and go back to whatever anchor you've chosen. Usually for me, it's my breath. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's definitely me with like, I can't just quiet my brain. I can't do it. But maybe I'll have to give it another try with, with that in mind. And I know you said at the beginning when you first got the diagnosis that you were scared, you know, I won't be able to be able to raise my kids. I won't be able to go to work. But were you going to work during that time and just having to cope with the dizziness? I was going to work. I I was very fortunate to have great colleagues who supported me. Um, I was very open with them about my diagnosis. I was fortunate in that regard. I know a lot of people with MS and other chronic conditions can't be as open um, you know, telling people that they have this because there's still some stigma and a lot of um, confusion around, you know, what that means. But um, I was in a setting where I felt comfortable and was able to 
really opened myself up to, you know, that getting that support from colleagues. And it was it was wonderful. Um, they helped me out. Um, they covered some shifts for me initially. I had to get um, an infusion of uh, actually several days of infusions of steroids. Um, and then I had to start medication. I had a bunch of doctor's appointments and MRIs and spinal tap and all that at the beginning. So they, they really covered for me. Um, and then, you know, after that, um, it was it was tough. I had a couple of very hard years. Um, I've just written a memoir about it because my diagnosis was at the time when I was directing this clinic for people without insurance and raising my two young kids uh, who were two and four at the time of my diagnosis. So struggling, it was it was a real, real challenge for me to kind of get through all of that in those first few years. Um, but ultimately, I, you know, I did find good support and I was able to get through, uh, you know, getting my kids to, up to being a little more independent and then also getting my clinic um, in shape where I, I was able to, to do patient care and, um, and feel supported by my team. And speaking of support and support systems, did you know anyone at the time who also had MS that you could get support in that way of someone who really understood what you were going through? So when I first was diagnosed, I didn't think I knew anyone. But of course, then once you're diagnosed, and and this is part of the beauty in sharing it, right? Because if I didn't tell anybody, I wouldn't have found all these other people. But when I started being open about it, everybody starts coming to me going, oh, my cousin has MS, my husband has MS, my, you know, some relative or friend. Um, And I was able to connect with a lot of people that way, um, including a a woman who was the same age as me, also had two daughters. She had been diagnosed a few years before and came over to my house, a friend of a friend, and really just helped support me, um, you know, saying, she said, you won't believe this, but I don't actually think about MS every day. And I was like, what? I can't, I can't believe that's ever possible. That would ever be possible for me. And and yet, absolutely, like, it gets to a point where this is, you know, part of you and it's not that big a deal and I don't think about it all the time and you know, really, if it weren't for my work now at the MS clinic and, and my work with the National MS Society and my, my memoir, I probably wouldn't think about MS much at all. Um, I take I get a, go in for an infusion every six months, but I've been fortunate that it's kept me stable. Uh, and I've had no changes on my MRI since 2017 now. So knock on wood, right? <laughs> but um, I've been fortunate to do well. Talking about the memoir, you mentioned the memoir. I believe that you talk about in there the shift from doctor to patient or kind of being on both sides of that. Can you talk a bit about that and what that was like for you to go from taking care of sick people to being a, you know, quote unquote, sick person? I was so surprised to suddenly find myself um, as a, you know, as a patient um, after being a doctor for many years. And uh, I think it really helped me to kind of have some more perspective with the patients that I was taking care of at the same time. Um, I was directing a clinic for people who didn't have private health insurance. And one of the things that I found most noteworthy in my experience becoming a patient was how different my experience was compared to the people that I saw in my clinic. And it was really infuriating, actually, because I was able to get into an ear, nose, and throat doctor, for example, um, in a day after I I was able to talk to him on his cell phone on a Sunday afternoon. He got me in his clinic the next day. I got my MRI the following day. It was amazing. I had a meanwhile, I had a patient who waited for two years to see an ear, nose, and throat doctor. We could not get her in any sooner than that. Um, you know, fortunately, she didn't have MS, but it was just a constant challenge for my patients to see specialists to get the medications that they needed, to get the test done. I almost never could order an MRI on a patient because it was too expensive and not something that was available to them. So I think 
even more than sort of the experience of being a patient, I really noticed the contrast and just the injustice and inequities in our healthcare system um, that were, you know, something that my patients had to experience constantly. And uh, I was their advocate and trying to help them through it. But it was very frustrating that it was so much harder for them to get the health care they needed compared to me where I had the resources and the know-how and the connections. Uh, it shouldn't be that way. And, and it was a real eye-opener. And do you still work with that clinic or do some type of work related to helping people who don't have access to, you know, medical health care? I have a real passion for helping vulnerable populations. Um, I don't work at that clinic anymore, but um, at my new at my new position, um, part of my role is going to be, or actually, it already is. I just started in, in the fall, but uh, part of my role is community outreach and really helping make sure that you know we have some great treatments now for MS, but those shouldn't be limited just to the people that are able to get into the best clinics. We really want to make sure that everybody has access to those great treatments. Um, they're very, very expensive, um, and it can be tricky to get uh, people connected, especially if they don't have good health insurance. Uh, but that's one of my uh, goals is uh, to help make sure that people have access and uh, and have the best care that, that we have available. And to touch back on the memoir, why did you want to write it in the first place? What was your driving force behind that? Well, I've always kind of wanted to share my story. And um, when I started, when I was diagnosed with MS, it was a therapeutic uh, process for me to go and write about what was happening. And I realized as I, you know, over the years, because this was not something that took uh, just a short time, I spent over a decade working on this book. Um, but I found that it, it really just helped me process what was going on to make sense of it. And then I realized I wanted to share those stories of my patients. And so, you know, this is not just my story. This is the story of that clinic and all of those patients that I saw who were struggling too. Um, and I wanted them to have a voice and for their stories to be, uh, you know, known so that hopefully we can, we can end up, you know, we can, we can make improvements to our healthcare system and improve access again for everybody. And remind me again when that came out, that memoir. So the memoir is Up the Down Escalator, Medicine, Motherhood, and Multiple Sclerosis, and it came out in August of 2023. Very recently. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. What's it been like to have it out in the world, and what's some of the reception that you've received? Oh, my gosh. It's been so exciting. It took a very long time for me to get a traditional publisher, but I really wanted to to get one, and, and I finally did. So it's been very gratifying, and I've gotten a great reception. Um, I've had a lot of author events um, and people contacting me even after those or during the events saying, oh, my gosh, I couldn't put the book down. It was so readable. It's, you know, they appreciate how vulnerable I I am in the book. I, I try to be very honest, and I think that it's it's relatable to people. Um, so I've been really, really heartened by the response um, from from readers of all ages, um, and and people have liked the audio book as well. I had a lot of fun narrating the audio book. In more general terms, what's on the horizon for you? What's the next venture? I mean, I know you mentioned the community outreach position, but what else is kind of ahead of you? Well, I just got board certified in lifestyle medicine. And lifestyle medicine is a newer field that's focused on six tenets of health that include diet, exercise, sleep, stress reduction, avoidance of unhealthy substances, and connection with others. So really focusing on loneliness and isolation and helping people be 
connected. Um, and I, I love this field because it's really about prevention and treatment of chronic conditions uh, without having to rely a lot on medications, although certainly medications are a part of that. Um, and I am, have joined the UT Health MS and Neuroimmunology Center as, the life, as a lifestyle medicine physician to be able to offer people with MS um, support and coaching to live, again, their best lives um, even though they have a chronic condition, and also to prevent new chronic conditions. I think more MS is more than enough. We don't need to have anything else going on. And uh, actually, a lot of chronic conditions are more common in people with MS. So I'll be helping those that have other conditions to uh, to try to treat them as through lifestyle changes. I'm very excited. So this is my new venture, and I'm really hoping to get my practice uh, up and going and, and be able to to touch people's lives. And, and uh, I'm sure that they'll be impacting mine as well. And I'll learn from them. Well, as we come to the end of the interview here, there's a question that I ask everyone who comes on this podcast as a tie-in to the name. And that is for you, what does it mean to be Texan? Truly Texan. I think that's a hard uh, hard term to define. But for me, I think it it's looking back at our history as a state um, and also at some of the opportunities we have uh, to live better. And, you know, I think being truly Texan means to be independent, to embrace the diversity of our state, to live with integrity, and to be resilient. Now, obviously, people can check out your book, but where else can people find you, like online? Do you have any social media, anything like that? Sure. So I'm certainly online and have social media. Um, I have a website, so it's www.lisadoggett.com, and Doggett is D-O-G-G-E-T-T. Um, I'm also online, uh, you know, X or t- formerly Twitter and Instagram as Lisa Doggett MD and Facebook is author Lisa Doggett. Um, and then, of course, my book, Up the Down Escalator, Medicine, Motherhood and Multiple Sclerosis. It's available at all the usual places and there is an audiobook as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to tell your story on Truly Texan, head over to the Austin American Statesman website and fill out our submission form. This podcast is hosted and edited by me, Hannah Ortega. You can find me on Instagram at HannahOrtegaATX.